Welcome to the Mission Show with Luis Cardozo and Albert Kenfield. I'm so excited about our episode today. We are interviewing Lauren and Joanne Haverstone. They both worked for the Mission Society. Lauren was director of pastoral care for the Mission Society for 17 years. They together traveled the world helping, blessing, and taking care of missionaries and pastors. They both visit Danny and I in Brazil before we came to the UK more than 10 years ago. So without further ado, it's my joy to present to you all Lauren and Joanne. Lauren and Joanne, if I remember well, you were a missionary in Ghana. So how was that experience for you guys? And I remember one phrase, Lauren, that you taught me. I don't know if you remember that phrase, but cra 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 ukoko benumensu. Uh, 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 small, small, little, little, little bit, little bit. Yes. Yeah, the chicken drinks water. You know, I have that gift that I can speak any language wrong. So I assume <laughs> that that my chi it, it's really bad, but but I can remember that phrase. We don't remember a lot ourselves. Uh, we remember. I remember one chorus: "Asida, Asida, Yedimo Yami," which means uh, uh, "God, thanks be to God." And uh, it went "Asida, Yedimo Yami." Asida yedimo yami, asida yedimo yami, yedimo yami, yedimo yami, which meant thanks we give to God. Yami, N-Y-A-M-E, in chi was was God. But that's that's about the extent. And give me just a few more years, and it'll probably be gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but how was the experience being a missionary in Ghana? All those years. The experience for us was uh, life-changing. The experience for us being willing to go changed our lives in so many ways as it relates to faith in God, mm. being willing to trust God, being willing in so many areas. J jump into it and you, you share some of the things you'd like. Well, j just the challenge of going, you know, we, we knew that the Lord was with us. We had peace from the time we got on the airplane and landed because we knew that's exactly what we were supposed to do. I mean, we were like uh, so unaware of what we were going to be experiencing, you know, with culture shock and, and all of that. But we, we were completely at peace uh, about going to Ghana and, and we loved it. It was, we loved, well, we had mm. some challenges. We had malaria and things like that, but But we had uh, a wonderful, wonderful experience and love the people. And just like it's been a long time since Lauren has had contact with you guys, but we, we try to keep in touch with them. You know, we have special people all over the world that we've had contact with being with Mission Society in general that uh, it's hard for us to remember all the names. We have so many names up here in our head like you guys. And, and uh, but man, it's just been Yeah. A wonderful life. Wonderful Amen. life. We got saved in 1974. I probably told you we were on the verge of divorce ourselves. When we And came, we were childhood sweethearts. We, when we came to the Lord, we've been together actually since 1962, believe that or not. Uh, been married this year 53 years, but we dated for a bunch prior to that. But we were on the verge of divorce. 
And uh, through that experience, both came to know the Lord Jesus Christ and he transformed our lives. And two years later, we go from this secular world. We had Asbury Theological Seminary. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we, what a change. God had called us and with two children, a six-month-old and a four-year-old, and we ended up at Asbury. And it was there that we were introduced to missions uh, because Asbury had such a strong focus on missions. And we were surrounded by missionaries. We had missionaries that were friends that had come back from their places of service to, to study, either get a Master of Divinity or whatever. So we got to know a good many of those. And believe it or not, Dr. H.T. Macklin, you knew who I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. He had come back from Kenya in probably 1978. This was eight years before the Mission Society, or 78, uh, six years before the Mission Society was ever started, and he was instrumental in starting. They asked him to come preach at uh, Asbury Seminary, and Joanne worked like Danny was talking about working. She worked at the seminary, so uh, they went to chapel. And of course, I was a student. We went to chapel. And he came to preach. And that day, when he preached and gave an invitation for missions, Joanne and I both went forward and said, Lord, here we are. We had no idea what it meant. We just said, Lord, here we are. However you want to use us. I think in the back of my mind, I had this, I, I distinctly remember, God, don't send me to India. I don't know why I had that. <laughs> but anyhow, so that did not come to fruition until nearly nine years later when uh, we encountered another person, an individual that had started ministering in, in Ghana, and we had gotten to know him, and we went to a service one night where he was. And afterwards, he came up to me and Joanne and said, when do you folks want to go to Ghana? And I didn't know where Ghana was in my old history books. It was called the Gold Coast. <laughs> wasn't in Ghana. And uh, that was in October. Well, by the next, uh, the next June, we'd left our local church and took leave of absence from the Methodist Church. And we went to Ghana. Now, understand, we had no training. None whatsoever. No. None, absolutely. <laughs> we just felt God calling us, got on the plane, and went to Ghana. But we had mentors on the ground, people that uh, we worked with that took us in. And we were new enough, even before we heard Whiteman or others, that you needed to be teachable, <laughs> needed to be willing to be humble, and learn and be a servant. I mean, that that was just the way we approached it. And by doing that, I think God blessed it uh, in spite of maybe all the mistakes we might have made. We lived with a Ghanaian family. For the first six months. Yeah, for six months. 12 of us in a four-bedroom house. Wow. <laughs> and so we, we got uh, acclimated pretty quick. Uh, and uh, so by them really taking us in and I trusted Sammy. I didn't do anything in ministry without running it by Sammy. In fact, most of the ministry that we got involved in or initiated, it was through Sammy and, and, and some others. And so I, our time by, by approaching it like that and, and that model 
we, we were just blessed beyond measure. And, and understand we were only there just about two years. So we weren't, weren't considered long-term missionaries, but still that, that approach I think we had because again, we, we knew nothing about culture shock. We knew mm -hmm. nothing about training and, and all those things that you've learned and I've learned since then. Uh, but, uh, God just blessed us and Amen. it was an awesome time. We started out. He taught us how to love people. Amen. And in turn be loved. Yeah. Uh, we had, uh, there was a, the, when we got there, financial times in, in Ghana were really bad. There wasn't any, hardly any food on the ship. You couldn't get a vehicle in the country. Uh, we had to find a vehicle in, uh, in Togo. Lauren, you were yes. director of the pastoral care for the Mission Society for 17 years. How was your time pastoring missionaries around the world? The most wonderful time and ministry we probably have ever experienced. Uh, we had the privilege to come aboard with the Mission Society in 1999 with mobilization, which was the area where we brought people in. We helped them connect with the Mission Society and be approved. I don't like to use the word recruitment because only the Holy Spirit recruits. <laughs> but that was sort of mobilization. Yeah. That was what we were about. And so a lot of those people that came in in 19, 1999, we were still building relationship with in 2016. Wow. So we got to build relationship with people over 17 years and uh, ministering to them and pastoral care for the mission society really joanne and i had the privilege in 2005 of creating uh the pastoral care we called it member care which is to me a more appropriate term than pastoral mm -hmm. care i understand what you mean by pastoral care but i still tend to like member care better and so we helped form the member care department and so Here's two people in Norcross, Georgia, thousands of miles from any of the missionaries. And you realize very quickly that it's a very difficult task. <laughs> it's quite a, quite different than, yeah, yeah being, being there with people, life. building into their lives, face-to-face, um, -face, sharing prayer requests, uh, walking through an issue with them or a need in their lives. We had that. Someone might call and want to have prayer about a need. We would pray with them, but we might not talk with them again for six months. Mm. <laughs> now, I'll be honest with you, after toward the end, for me, that was frustrating. Mm. And that was probably one of the reasons I began to make transition, if that makes sense. But the point is, with an agency our size, uh, and just a few people working, we had to, we had to decide, okay, how are we going to do member care in, in any effective way besides mm -hmm. calling people? So we, we decided that we would go to them, but there again, we can only make five, six trips a year to mm -hmm. fields, mainly because of financial reasons. The mission society didn't have overabundance of funding and just, just timing. But we would go and spend, I remember we went to 
Kenya, uh, Tanzania, Zambia. We spent three weeks and 11 flights going to visit the on the field, the missionaries to encourage them and build them up. But we realized though, that we needed regional people. And so you had people like Billy and Laurie Drum that, that rose up as well as many others now that far exceed that, that are helping with member care, caring for people in, in the regional areas. Mm-hmm. And then too, we focused and emphasized to our people that member care is just what it is. Paul says in Romans 6 that we are members of one another, right? We are members of one another as the body of Christ. So we really encouraged our people on the field to care for one another, to provide the member care for one another. I mean, that's, I get frustrated at times simply because these, these old timers that have been there a few years they had forgotten that someone helped them and took care of them. And, and they would want to just say, well, I ain't got time. And I'd want to just take them and slap them side the head and, and try to, <laughs> this is what you're about is trying to help these folks, disciple these folks, care for these folks. As they can. So it was, it was, it was a wonderful time going to the fields, ministering to our people, uh, I think two of the things that Joanne and I are probably uh, in the in the way that Paul would use the word proud, the apostles that we're probably proudest of, is developing the home team model. And I think through the years I talked with you about that, uh, Luis, when we were together, we developed a, a process whereby the missionaries, before they ever went to the field, would put together a team of people on the the home team on the U.S. side or whatever country it happened to be that is going to care for them, provide for them, and do, oh, just, we had a whole booklet that we put together for guidance, a guidebook for them. And that was extremely, extremely helpful and effective to our people mm-hmm. as they were paying for the field. And you know yourself, with many of our missionaries, it might take them a year and a half to get the funding together to, to get to the field. Mm. And so during that time, they had this team of people that was helping them with support racing, encouraging them, ah, gosh, praying for them, doing all sorts. Of so that was one thing that is still going with the Mission Society. And the other thing, and it's still going, is we developed a, a debrief process where we would debrief when we went to the fields, we would spend time with the couples or individuals, couples separately, couples together. And if it was just an individual and we had a a debrief process, a couple of hours where we would go through and ask a lot of questions, trying to get to find out what was going on with them. And then we developed that for when they returned to the States. Hmm first things that they were to do was to get with the Helvestons. And we started off with just uh, a little time in, in the office. And then Joanne and I went to training out in Colorado for debrief training. And we determined real quickly that the most effective place to do this would be in our home. So we started debriefing in the home and we developed a three day debrief process where they would come in and 
stay in our home in a very safe, comfortable setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, we take care of them and uh, spend three days debriefing. And mainly what that meant with me and Joanne, and we had a process, but it mainly meant me and Joanne spent three days listening uh, to people unload. This is so amazing because I remember when we were in Curitiba, you and Joanne came to our home <laughs> and it was life changing for us. Oh, I rem- it was. I remember that you gave us an alarm clock, you two, and that uh, you told us that we should keep it in a in a very um, special place where we could yeah. Yeah, see it very easily. And I remember, Joanne, you told me and you said to me, and I and I keep this in, on my heart and I share with anyone that is facing some crisis, especially when they come here to UK. You said that when the difficult times uh, arrives in my life, I should remember that I'm living in adventure and every adventure finish has an end. But also I have to remember when times are good and I'm celebrating the victories, I should remember that it will pass as well. Uh, So life is an adventure and things will pass. What can you say about it? This was life-changing for us. And, but what you guys could say about this principle that was so, and is still so important to us? Well, I just think it goes to life. All of us, are, all of us, uh, Joanne and I are now nearly, we'll be 73 soon. And we're at a different stage in life now than we were 10 years ago. You're in a different stage in life right now than you were six months ago mm-hmm. life is going to be full of stages yes life is going to be full of times and problems and uh, things that we have to deal with and we have to keep our eyes on jesus mm. we have to realize that he is the lord of our lives that nothing is going to come into our lives nothing is going to impact our lives that it first doesn't come through him and so those good times uh, they're a blessing from him those difficult times that maybe we don't really like or want we have to approach them standpoint this is part of life and they will pass my wife didn't like it when I said it when she was pregnant (laughs) as a husband who didn't really make much contribution period I would say (laughs) pass uh didn't go over too well but the point is (laughs) everything we encounter in life is 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 not going to be forever yeah life is made up of adventures life is made up of good times life is made up of rough times life is made up of peaceful times turbulent times joyful times discouraging times that's life that's the life with christ that that's the that that's the life he lived, mm. and and for us, uh, the Holy Spirit helps us through all those times to keep our focus on Him, and and the fact that He's going to bring us through, He's going to take us through, He's going to be our encourager when the discouraging times comes, Amen. He's going to be the one that helps us maneuver through the difficulties. Mm. That clock is just one way of showing us, look, with a tick of the moment, just like we are living in now. Who would have thought four months ago that the world would
would be what it is now. I think no one. I will tell you, this too shall pass. Yes. <laughs> so that's Amen. That's life. That and that's that clock. Keep it. <laughs> it's a we do. It's a, it's a good reminder. And we get we gave this. We gave a clock to so many people when we train or when we talk about mission or when we receive people that are willing to talk or uh, people that are facing crisis or anything. I use so many times these sermons. Yeah, that was a lesson that helped us. Yes. And helped uh, a lot. But let me ask you something to you too, because such an example to me and, and a generation of missionaries and a generation of pastors. Uh, but what are the biggest challenges that a missionary or a pastor will face when they go to mission? I think you could answer this as well as me and <laughs> oh, yeah. You could make, make a long list uh, and probably that would be much more extensive than ours because you have, uh, it's, it's beautiful to see you and the joy of the Lord in your, in your lives. You're, whew. Knowing that uh, the struggles that you've had to endure, uh, language. I mean, I remember, I remember Luis was making some headway with English way back there, but you were pretty well struggling. Yet you jumped in and, and went, and now these years later, speaking English as well as, uh, as we're speaking English. And you're speaking true English. We they don't consider what we speak actually <laughs> from where you are. But uh, I mean, it's the things you you and, and these are the things that you need to share. You you need to put these down and and share them. And you probably already have with uh, Bishop Lopes and, and others. Uh, share them with the folks at the mission site because they could uh, they could garner a lots from those things that you've experienced in the struggles. I mean, you know, the learning the language, moving into a culture where it's strange and new. And as Daryl would say, everything is unfamiliar. Mm. And how do you, how do you maneuver in that? And the ways of people are so different. And as Americans, I don't know about Brazilians, but as Americans, we want to quickly tell them the right way to do it. And, uh, and yet it's not the right way. It's an American way, but it's not the right way. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, just the cultural adjustments, uh, leaving family, leaving loved ones, leaving friends. I mean, you've had some, had some wonderful friends and pastoral friends and people that y'all were close to spent life together, built into each other's lives. And you have it again. Uh, and, and, uh, I just, I mean, I could, I could think of other things, but I think you, you, why don't you add a few things to it and, and let you just be part of the podcast and, uh, as well. Y'all share a few things. I mean, for us, I, our time, I'll be honest with you. I don't need, I didn't, how do I want to say this? I, I, I listened to Daryl and them and talking all about, about all of this for years. And I'm sitting there saying, must have been extra blessed because we didn't we really we didn't didn't have the culture shock and a, a lot of things and I think a part of that was because we had 
Ghanaians that became our cultural mentors from the moment that we got there. And because of that, uh, they protected us. They helped us. They kept us out of trouble probably a lot. And uh, so our time was just, was awesome. I mean, yeah, we struggled. I, a lot of times I looked to the West uh, and, and where the sun was in the setting in the West and say, that's home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, we would think about family, and uh, I mean, my parents were old and uh, had several died while we were uh, we were there, and 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 other things that are really struggle. But I there's only I'll tell you one story, Joanne. We never saw it as a sacrifice. In fact, we haven't seen any of our life in Christ going in, being called into the pastor, being called to the mission. We we never seen any of it as a sacrifice that it really has cost us. Mm-hmm. The only time that Joanne and I ever pretty simultaneous years ago made a comment about this was tell the story quickly. Our children had to go to boarding school in Ivory Coast for one, one, of, one, one of the years. One year. And um, our son, we'd been, we'd been doing homeschooling, and our son decided he wasn't going to go, but then he decided he was going to go. And so... We let our oldest daughter, we had three children, but the smallest one stayed with us. Our oldest daughter was like in the ninth grade, and Stephen was like in the sixth, sixth grade. Fifth, yeah. Fifth or sixth grade, sixth grade. And we, we dropped Karen off. She loved it. I mean, she was she at her was dorm. At her dorm. And, and we stopped our van in front of his dorm. And Stephen said, I might cry. It's like yesterday. He said, I'm not staying. We said, Stephen, you've got to. We're, you're all signed up. Everything's arranged. Plus, we had no homeschooling material. Yeah, we had. At we that had time no in Ghana, the post office was a mess, and people mm. were stealing mm-hmm. stuff. And we, we couldn't even get homeschooling materials into the country. So we were in the front seat of the van. He was in the back, and we were crying. He was crying. And and we, we just didn't said, really want him to see that we were crying. We, we just said, you've got to get out. We prayed with him, and, and he got out and went to his dorm, and we drove off. Can you finish the story? It was like at the same moment, we both says, well, maybe it does cost to follow the Lord at times, because it's just that hurting for our child, I guess. It it dropping him off, and I mean, I literally just had to say, Stephen, open the door and get out. you got to get, you got to get yeah. out. And uh, because I'm afraid if I'd have got out and went around with him, uh, I, I don't, I don't know what would have happened. So we just said, "You've got to get out. There is no choice." He said, "But you said we we wouldn't be separated if we came." I oh. said, "I know that. You made the choice. You decided. You could have stayed with us, but it's too late now for us to not get stuff for you, and you can't miss school a year." Three weeks later. Uh, he was wonderful. Not even that long. The, the older boys took him in. They played petite pateau, which is a, He's uh, He's which is a soccer. soccer ball on a concrete short court. Mm-hmm. Called it petite pateau, petite pateau. In, in French. And uh, he did wonderfully. He did wonderfully. <laughs> that was one of those few times where yeah. you might say we said, oh, Lord. For me, the moment that I would say that that was the hardest moment for me on this ten and a, ten and a half years was when we were in Gunze and 
I remember like today as well, I was teaching uh, the subject for Louis uh, was English. And I remember that he was there for a few months. Yeah. And I was, Louis, you have to do it, Louis. You need to pay attention. Do it properly, Louis. You were doing wrong. And he just exploded. And he exploded and he was shaking and crying. And he was saying, I don't understand. I don't understand what the teachers say. I don't understand what other people say. I just don't get it. I don't get it. I don't know what to do. Oh, my heart exploded with him. I, I, it was hard. was the worst, worst moment in my, my 10 years and a half of ministry. And here in the UK, I just hugged him and, and I said, I felt for the first time, said, God, that, that was my decision in a way, or my, yes, Lord, here I am. And I don't know, it was just so many things. And like today, yes, when I see him and he, he prefers, he speaks English with me. So, so it was worth it so, in so many levels. But that day... The clock. The clock. <laughs> the clock helped. I remember like today, I could see the clock. I could remember... Yeah. It will pass. It, it had to on that moment, but <laughs> yeah. it, it did pass. Thank Lord. Thank God for that. Lauren, how does pastoral care or, or in your words, member care change it since you begin your ministry? We know that uh, in the 80s, probably the letters, <laughs> the mail was very difficult. Today, we have this podcast through Zoom via internet <laughs> Uh, in, in three different parts of the world. So how can you tell us today, uh, in your vision, how pastoral care or member care to the missionaries in the fields are changing? Well, I think you, you're spot on with the fact that just the, the electronic world that we live in now has changed everything, and especially being able not only for an agency to be able to have contact with their people, but... Um, and the people on the field to be able to contact with with uh, with family, uh, with with people back home. And when we had missionaries, we were an agency that accepted people from uh, 21 to 81, <laughs> <laughs> and we didn't reject many people. And which I liked, I I thought it was wonderful that we, if a person felt called, that we would try to to help them fulfill that calling. Uh, but you had grandparents that uh, had left grandchildren. Uh, you had parents that had left children that were already uh, in college, uh, uh, j just so many things. And so in, in many ways, this electronic world and Zoom, even something newer than the others, uh, it, it allows that connection and that communication uh, that is nothing, I would say for the most part, nothing but helpful to the missionaries and uh, encouraging them and letting them be able to see someone's face. We, we didn't see a family's face for uh, over two years. Uh, we would send a letter and it took the letter normally four to five weeks to get to the States and wow. vice versa back, back to us. Okay. Uh, we went to, we had to go and book a phone call through the government. It was the a military, military government. Okay. We would phone call, pay for it and a good connection you you might not have a good and even connection. back then the phone call was like 40 yeah yeah <laughs> wow. so yeah it was expensive so most definitely th this is and and i'm sure there are, there are agencies 
uh, that are using this to the fullest and have used the, they're using it for not only counseling, but for education or mm -hmm. so many training, mm -hmm. uh, so many things that not only connects the agency uh, with um, like the mission society with uh, the members, but uh, then members to members, well, you know, people in this field where people communicate, but to be able to video stuff and send it of what's going on, minister, I mean, it's just, it's amazing to me. And all of that, all of that encourages people because even, I mean, there's some agencies that have been around for a while that are big and they've had, I remember being down in, uh, I think Paraguay and I met a Baptist, uh, Baptist, uh, Southern Baptist uh, pastoral care, member care person. You know, they were big enough that he was a counselor and he would he was available to all their missionaries in a couple of countries. So he there was a need. He could just jump on a plane and, and, and go from Paraguay to Brazil or Paraguay to wherever he needed to go. In fact, he only had two or three countries that he was responsible. Well, Joanne and I, we had... 40 something countries. <laughs> so some have been doing a great job with pastoral care for years, but the, the world that we're talking about electronically has really helped. Now, I also say there's a downside. There is a downside, I think. I think that from what I just garnered in a short time when we were in member care, that this electronic world and what we're doing now can cause people neglect building relationships with, with people face-to-face yep. -face that are there. They remain too much connected. <laughs> yeah, they, they connected to the electronic world, but aren't connecting with people where they are to, mm -hmm. to disciple and win people to Christ there, which is what they're, what they're there for. This tool is a tool for encouragement, a tool for education, uh, a tool for uh, communicating to keep one another abreast. Uh, but when it becomes uh, a tool that we're spending all of our time on, it becomes a distraction. And, uh, and I'm not that, like anything else, that's probably a small percentage of people that that mm. happens to. But it is something that added to the foray uh, when this came about that wouldn't have been there before. I have a question for Joan. Uh, Joan. What would be your advice to someone that was boarding the plane to go to another country, to live as a missionary? What would be your advice? What would you like to say to this person, especially if this, the person was a woman? Because I know that we, we are missionary with our husbands, but we face different challenges in life. Yeah, I would like to hear from you. God has called you yeah. to do this not something you just want to do on your own. God has called you to do it. And therefore he goes before you. You know, he, he, he takes care of you. He leads you in his ways. He, he takes care of everything. Mm. And so you, you don't have to worry. The Lord really helped me with that because we had never lived out of the country. We had never traveled out of the country a lot. We, you know, we were from a small, small town. <laughs> And, uh, rural Alabama. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> so, so you know, we were not even that adventurous outside of our state, I would say. Yeah. But the, the Lord did it. He did it. <laughs> and he had the peace and the blessings and 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 the love for people.
gave us that too. You know, uh, can I just interject to what Joanne said? Um, think about when you were having that episode with uh, Luis, uh, or we were having that episode with, with our son, Stephen, in the Ivory Coast. If a stake had not been driven in the ground about our calling, all that emotional that was going on and the hurt that was going on with the kids, it would have been easy to say, oh, okay, let's, yeah. God will understand. Let's go on back, let's go on back home. So that it is very important when those times of struggle and those devastating times come that that sense that God has called me here, God has placed me here. That that is the stake yeah. in the ground that is really vital. Amen. Amen. And guys, I I know that we can learn a lot from someone just to know what they are reading or that book that really changed your heart or touched you on the last, you know, the last season of your life. So I would like to ask to you too, what are you reading that you could recommend or what are the books that one or two that you could say, man, this one changed me and I would definitely recommend to people. I've got 12 on the table here, I think. Uh, <laughs> no. I, I didn't go back a long ways because I mean, there's there's books uh, in our past that have impacted us, and I, I have books that I read just period. I've I've read for years periodically because they impacted us in such ways that you like to go back and and refresh and refresh yourself on what there was there that impacted you in such a way, but. Let me let me just mention a, a few things, and I'm going to be random with them. So if that's okay, of course. I, I, I want to mention that that home team for you, uh, Luis, uh, as you continue to deal with people that might go out of your own country. I'll pack to go. P H C T. It, it's how to set up a home team, and uh, you you can order it on Amazon. But uh, it, it's a good book. We 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 use that and put it in the hands of our people, as well as a guide. Like I told you, if you're ever interested in getting a guide, I'll be glad to send the guide to you. I still I still have access to it. But that mm -hmm. that was a helpful tool for our people. Things that I've been reading uh, recently: the the Gospel of the Kingdom by George Elton Ladd. When I was in seminary, the New Testament theology book that we used at Asbury was by George Elton Ladd. He's passed on now. He was at Fuller Theological Seminary. Uh, it's Scriptural Studies in the Kingdom of God. It's one of the best books I've read trying to come to an understanding of what is the kingdom, what's the kingdom about, what does it mean to be living in the kingdom, uh, etc. And uh, it, it really changes your concept. It does mine about uh, the kingdom, about heaven, about a lot of things. Really, it just gives you a, a perspective coming out of a Bible Belt, Southern Alabama. <laughs> years, we we have a we had a simplistic. And there's nothing wrong with simplicity, but we it was our, our concept of heaven, our concept of when you die, you're gonna go to heaven, and you know if you die tonight. The, You know, all, all of that still might be true, but but the biblical view is so much, so greater than that. 
so broader than that, so deeper of what God hath planned for us. It's not some sitting on a cloud floating somewhere. It, it, it's a book that I'm reading this summer, Joanne and I, with uh, the Seedbed. They have a summer reading program. Is why I am still surprised by the power of the Holy Spirit by Jack Deere, D-E-E-R-E. Good, wonderful book on ministry of the Spirit, wow. the gifts, healing. He was a Southern Baptist cessationist. <laughs> well, okay, and you, know what, you know what that is. Taught at what's uh, uh, <laughs> their in Dallas, Dallas Theological Seminary. He taught there. Of course, he eventually got fired from there. <laughs> <laughs> Because God's spirit got a hold of him. And uh, uh, he, the, the first one was why I'm surprised by the power of the Holy Spirit, written 25 years ago. After 25 years, he revised it. Why I'm still surprised by the power of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> still okay. fresh. Yes, still fresh, still fresh with him. Another one I've been reading, Signs and Wonders, by Signs and Wonders by Stephen uh, Elliott. He builds a strong case for that this focus we have on friendship evangelism, which he doesn't, he doesn't say, he doesn't depreciate or anything, but he says that was not the biblical pattern. Paul went into places and folks got saved and he'd never built a relationship. And he talks about the power of the spirit, signs, wonders, healings, etc., which we have so far to go. Paul, the Spirit, and the people of God, a good Pentecostal theologian, Gordon Fee, F-E-E. Excellent, excellent book. Probably one of the better that I've read. Another book on prayer by Dr. Dennis Kinlaw, who's former president of Asbury College. Probably one of my favorite people ever of my years. He's gone now. He died at 90 years old, a couple of years ago. Over the last four or five years, I've tried to do more reading in in the Jewishness of Jesus, uh, the Jewish culture and the culture Jesus was ministering in and out of. And uh, you might be, he's Brit. I'm not sure he was a Brit or not, but Kenneth Bailey, uh, excellent book, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. Okay, that that's that that's some things, some books. What about the future, Lauren? What are your plans and dreams for the future? Could you share with us a little bit? For Joanne, we're at that stage of life. Several years ago, uh, we began praying. When I say several years ago, when we were in our, still in our probably middle 60s, we started praying, Lord, make these latter years as fruit former years. Uh, and so we still, we want to just keep our eyes on Jesus, being open to what he wants us to do, how he wants to use us in this setting we're in now. We're residents of a little Georgian town. Go to a little small Methodist church. And we have five grandchildren and two daughters in the area. And so we're building relationships with people. We're asking the Lord to, to use us here, seeking him about how that might look uh, for us. We don't have any big grand dreams and schemes uh, that uh, we're cooking up. We're at a stage now. I came to a place probably at middle 60s or even less where I said, Lord, I, I'm, I'm, I don't want to build anything, impress anyone. 
I, I just, I just want to do your will and walk with you, whatever that means for, for me and Joanne. We bought this old place. We're going to continue to, to work on it. And uh, we're building a relationship. Oh, guys, thank you very much. Uh, just one thing I, I would like to, to ask, if I could, is normally when we, we have a chat with someone here on our podcast, I like to finish asking people if there is any question that you'd like to answer, but we didn't ask. Anything you'd like to say, but then people just missed or didn't say, or anything you would like to to leave for people that are listening. My wife has a a little plaque here that has been meant so much to us for years. Um, I've used it in the funeral of, of people that are friends. I still get called back to do funerals for people in churches that we pastor across the years. And uh, so Joanne, read that. It says, some people come into our lives and quickly go. Some stay for a while and leave, and leave footprints on our hearts. And we are never, ever the same. Wow. We count you among those, even though our, some of the most wonderful times. I love Brazilians. I've come to that conclusion. I love Brazil. And uh, those times down there were some of the, the sweetest, most gracious times building relationship with you and some of the other pastors. Right, praying with the guys. Having the early morning prayer times. Uh, coming to visit you too when you were at that place in life that God mm -hmm. was really dealing with you and, and, and getting you, developing you and getting you at that place he wanted you to be to put you in the next stage of life. Those times were just extremely, extremely precious. We're so thankful for them. We just can't express thanks to the Lord enough for the privilege he's given us to interact and connect with, with people across the years. People like you that have just so extremely blessed our lives and encouraged our lives and to add to that encouragement today to see where you are now, what God's doing, what you've walked through and, and uh, the joy of the Lord being your strength and uh, that you've always kept your eyes on Jesus, not a Methodist church, Baptist, Pentecostal or anything else, that Jesus is our Lord. He's the one that calls us. He's the one that keeps us. He's the one that directs our steps He's the one that puts us in ministry. And um, whether there's an organization that goes with that uh, <laughs> really doesn't matter that much because uh, it's the community of people that are hungering after Jesus, whether they got a name attached. Keep your eye on that and uh, always do, always do. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast with Luis Cardoso and Albert Canfield. If you have any questions, doubts, or if there's any theme specifically you would like to hear in our podcast, please get in touch with us at www.cntmission.com. We would love to hear from you. In our website, we have loads of content to help you in the mission field, to prepare to the mission field, to church planting. It's all free and all to bless you. We'll be back next week with an amazing interview with Bishop Simon Mawara. He's a bishop of a church in Kenya, and his main goal is to reach tribes and villages with the gospel, especially places that never had a church before. We'll be back next week. <laughs>